0: possibilities the palace theater your palace your place welcome to the palace theaters broadway buzz presented by webster bank the palace theater is located in waterbury connecticut my name is Stuart brown founder of the 24 7 online broadway radio station sounds of broadway.com if you are looking for non-stop broadway music tune into sounds of broadway.com playing the best from off broadway broadway and the london stage I'll be your host for this podcast series. On this edition of the Broadway Buzz, we'll be talking about the Palace Theater itself, which is celebrating its 100th anniversary. Helping me with this discussion is Meg Letty, the front of house manager of the Palace, and also Lou Beloisi, who is the honorary Palace Theater historian. Welcome to the program.
1: Thank you. Thank you Stuart.
0: Stuart. Well, how about if we start off at the very beginning? I'm trying to think if that's uh, from the Sound of Music. Uh, is that the uh,
1: a very good place to start.
0: Very good place to start. Okay. <laughs> so, how about if you talk about how long each of you have been involved with the Palace Theater?
1: In 2004, I saw a little, little filler in the newspaper, the Waterbury Republican, and it said that they are um, meeting that night at the Manituck Museum for anybody wishing to be a volunteer at the yet to be opened Palace Theater. And I said, I. I have nothing to do tonight. I'm running down there. Best decision I ever made. Lou, how about you? Lou, you were there since the beginning too.
2: Actually, I was there before the beginning. Let's go back a little bit further to when I was 16 years old. My uncle, who was a, a police in downtown Waterbury, managed to get me a job at the theater as my very first job. Uh, the year, I don't remember. That's a long time ago. But what I did is I spent six years at the Palace. I was a usher, a doorman, a ticket taker, projectionist, assistant manager, candy man, and after six years I left, I went into the Air Force, and then I noticed that there was work being done on the palace, and I applied for, uh, again, volunteer, and that was, we opened in 2004, and I've been there ever since, but I'm not leaving. (laughs) Now, I have seen the theater, Stuart and Meg. uh, I've seen the theater as a grand MGM movie house. It was just absolutely spectacular back then. Uh, It was just a a grand old palace. Uh, I have fond memories of of the palace back then. And I, I try to keep these memories in check. I do a lot of research to find more information on the palace so that I can have it in my history class.
0: So I remember my introduction to the palace was when the Waterbury campus, where I work at, moved from up on the hill on Hillside Avenue down to East Main Street. And this is when they just started the renovation. And I had never been to the palace in all the years I had been at Waterbury previously. And we were given a tour. So we donned hard hats, walked in the interior, and the entire place was stripped. There wasn't anything in there. So then when they finished the restoration, walking in there, which I say to people, this is probably the most stunning theater in all of New England, but just the transformation was just absolutely remarkable, going to an interior that had nothing, and then for people to have that vision and the artisans to put everything back the way it used to be.
1: Stu, I've been working there, like I said, since 2004. And now that I'm the front of house manager, I work there every day during normal times. Not a day goes by when I don't walk through that lobby and say, oh my gosh, I'm in the middle of downtown Waterbury and look what I'm looking at. That sight of the ceilings, the artistry inside that building, it never gets
0: old. I think what's interesting is from East Main Street, you know, you know there it's a theater, but (laughs) you have absolutely no idea, which in a way... I don't know if if I want to say is sad but you know it's almost like can you somehow take that majesty and sort of bring it outside so people walking by know what they're missing. I guess some people that go into the box office area and then sort of, they could just sort of wander Mm -hmm. over. But-
1: Even uh, if they're, once they're inside the box office, it's a beautiful box office area, but it doesn't tell you the story of what is actually inside the theater. When you go around the corner, it's a whole different magnificent story. But this is where we like to have the tours. When people come in for our tour, many people have never been inside the building before. They're just theater people. And Waterbury has our reputation being that it is a lot of people won't venture into Waterbury on a weeknight or on a weekend. So when we have the tours and we have people from out of town, they are astounded, number one, at how easy it is to get there. Number two, how easy the parking is. And number three, what a stunning theater we have. And, you know, I'm a theater geek of, of sorts, and I go to Broadway quite often when Broadway is alive. I don't think there's any theater in New York that I have been in that is it comes near the beauty of what I work in every day. So when people come in from out of town or they've never been there before, it is such a joy for us to introduce them to this building.
0: Let's get back to that in a second, because Lou, I know as the historian and the person who knows probably the most about the palace, can you talk a little bit about the architecture and the architects that conceived and designed the building?
2: Well, first of all, let me explain the, if if Sylvester Poli were able to walk into the theater today, he more than likely wouldn't recognize it. The restoration is gorgeous. And as the architects would say, it's typical of the color palettes of the 1920s. However, it does not represent the theater when Sylvester had it. Sylvester Poli loved dark colors. So the walls were draped in greys and browns and black silk ceilings and side walls were painted black. It was more or less like a mausoleum inside. Now, he changed the interior of that theater several times. It actually was done when he opened in 22, again in 1934. He sold his interest to the MGM group and they tore it apart. They changed the colors, they changed the draperies, the colors of lighting, and they made it look more modern. So I was, as I said, if he were to walk in today, he wouldn't recognize it.
0: So really what we're seeing today is a restoration of going back after MGM acquired it and redid it?
2: Right. MGM bought his whole circuit in 1934. There were several, I think there are probably about seven or eight theaters that they purchased. A Little by little, they started to restore each one. And uh, when they did ours, they placed the marquee. There has been five marquees on the theater. Uh, and then they just got at the interior and put a new interior in, typical of what a theater would look like in the
0: 1930s. And when we talk theater, are we talking... Primarily movie palace theaters, or were there also standalone entertainers? Were there theatrical productions?
2: Actually, not, not many theatrical uh, productions. When Sylvester opened the theater, it was opened as a, uh, a performing venue. When MGM purchased it, it was mainly just movies. There were, very seldom was ever a stage show. It was basically a movie theater and a grand movie theater at all. When you went to the movies, when it was an MGM theater, you had to spend five or six hours in there because that's how much it took to go through all the movies.
0: I'm curious because obviously nowadays, when you go to the movies, you're lucky if (laughs) the screen is the size of your computer. They're so small. And the screen must have been gigantic. And I'm just thinking, what were some of the, I guess, classic, maybe MGM movies that were shown there that really became such an event because it was such a big screen?
2: Well, actually, the screen was about 35 feet wide by about 25 feet high. What we did back then is you would go to the movies at one o'clock and on the screen would come Movie Tone News, which was two-week-old news. And after Movie Tone News, you would have uh, a few cartoons, and then the co-feature would come on. And usually the co-feature was a very bad B-movie. co-feature was on for an hour and a half. co-feature went off, and and then on came cartoons, serials like Lash LaRue, Hopalong Cassidy. Then the feature would start. And then at the end of the feature, we would have Trailers. Now you call them previews, but they're actually trailers because they were at the end of the show. So let's say you went in at one o'clock; you were now getting out about five thirty or six o'clock. Now something of interest with the theater, and I've not seen it on any other theater. There was an enormous clock on top of the uh, box office, made by the Lux Clock Company in Waterbury. Uh, it was a large green enameled one, probably about three feet in diameter. It had two hour hands on it. Uh, one was for the correct time. And the other one is if you went in at one o'clock, the clock would say 5.15. So you had the current time and actually the time that you were getting out. The reason for that, a lot of mothers took their children, dropped them off at of the theaters and looked at the clock and say, okay, we're going to meet you here at 5.30.
0: That's a great way to uh, babysit. I'm I'm sure a lot of mothers in in today's world would love to be able to say, I'm dropping you off. I'll see see you later. (laughs) Now, Meg, you work with the ambassador program. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that sort of sinks in with the, maybe the history or tours of some of the things that that Lou has talked about?
1: Sure. Our ambassador program is the tour program that we have at the palace. All the tour guides are called ambassadors. And uh, we have—I'm uh, not even sure how many we have right now. Maybe ten. And they are given a quote-unquote script to learn before they actually do their own tours. But what would they do is they'll go on tours and shadow a seasoned tour guide for as long as they want until they feel comfortable to give their own tour. So the more they hear the history and they hear the tour, they're more—they're going to know the tour. And what I find so interesting about this program and these tour guides is everybody gives a different tour if we have 10 tour guides it's 10 different tours you're going on If we have 30 tour guides it's 30 different tours you're going on you know somebody is really into history and they bring up more of the history some people are into the architecture i'm into the gossip of the theater so that's my tour it's everybody is different so when people come on a tour i say You've not seen all of the tour. You have to come again and again and again, and you pick up different things. And even me, Lou, correct me if I'm wrong, me as a tour guide, I bring up different things. I don't give the same tour twice. So if you come to my tour this week, it's going to be a different tour that you're going to see next week. It's a wonderful, wonderful way to get into the theater. You go backstage, you see all the the, um, dressing rooms, you get to stand on the stage and really see the the theater in a different way with new eyes. And it's five dollars to go on this tour. And it is a really smart five dollars to
0: pay. If I understand the the wing space, so if you're in the audience looking out, the wing space being the sides is the largest in New England. Lou, is
2: that correct? That that I say that on my tour, it's one of the largest in New England. I believe it is probably the second largest. I'm not quite sure. I heard that comment back a while ago. Uh, we have actually the largest stage. In New England. Right. That's 5,200
0: square feet. Well, I remember when Phantom first toured and it went to the Bushnell and and they had to spend an exorbitant amount of money to widen and to be able to to load the show. Mm -hmm. As opposed to when Phantom came to the palace, the space was there. It was already there.
1: Right. It was not as challenging. And my best guess is that when they renovated the theater, they had exactly a show like Phantom in mind, because they knew Phantom was the first one of its size to tour, but they knew that it probably won't be the last one of its size to to tour. So we are easily accommodating those
0: kinds of shows. It's the largest stage in New England. And I don't think you really get a feel of what the stage is like when you're in the audience, because you don't really see it. It's almost like if you ever go to the Goodspeed Opera House Mm -hmm. and you stand on that stage, it is the size of a postage stamp. You have no idea how they ever do a show. And I I mean, and Goodspeed does incredible shows and it's on a nothing stage. So I think it really is, like you said, a great value, you know, for the five dollars just to stand on the stage to look at how deep it is, how wide it is to get that flavor of this is what a large presenting house can be like.
1: And I think our stage rivals many of the New York City stages on Broadway. When they construct sets, they're in little alleys constructing sets and bringing them into the theater. We don't construct sets. We are not a production house, but we have a huge loading dock and a huge loading area so that the shows that are loading into our theater have a really easy time. And that's why the traveling companies love coming to the palace. We make it easy for them.
0: We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk more about the Palace Theater, its history, and also about the 100th anniversary celebration and what might be happening with that. So please stay tuned. Where can you hear the best music from off-Broadway, Broadway, and the London stage? The answer Soundsofbroadway.com, your 24-7 online Broadway music radio station. Listen to selections from well-known, popular, and more obscure musicals from the most diverse playlists anywhere. That's Soundsofbroadway.com.
2: Let's go on with the show.
1: We're all living through an unusual time together, but each one of us is dealing with it differently. Webster Bank is here to help you move forward at whatever pace is right for you. Whether you're taking small steps or big, bold ones, whether you're refocusing on your future, re-energizing your business, or reconnecting with everyone you love, Webster will help you take your next steps on your time.
0: We're back with the Broadway buzz. My name is Stuart Brown and my guests today are Meg Luddy who is the front of house manager at the Palace Theater, and Lou Beloisi, who is the Honorary Palace Theater Historian. And we're talking about the Palace Theater. And there is really so much to talk about. And unfortunately, you know, I think when you talk about the Palace Theater, and we really did this a lot before the break, it's so visual. And this is an audio presentation, so it's kind of hard to get the flavor of the visual I think for people that have been there since the reopening they know exactly what we're talking about but for people that might not know and this might really spark their interest and I've had Frank on a couple of times and the upcoming Broadway series is very extensive this year so this might prod people into maybe not only going to a tour but saying okay I know there are all these great Broadway shows let's go to one two three And of course, there are many other types of uh, events that happen at the Palace Theater. So how about if we talk maybe a little bit about the 100th anniversary and things that are happening, maybe from a historical standpoint? Lou, is there something that you can bring to that topic?
2: Well, there's no time capsule as such that I'm aware of, but the Palace staff is working on a grand celebration for the 100th anniversary, which is going to consist of various shows. We're going to be doing some more slide work. And, and the other details I really don't have too much about. But as far as the building itself, it's in gorgeous shape, and it will be for the next 100 years.
0: Meg, anything from your uh your area, or is it just to anticipate the thousands of people that are going to be coming for tours?
1: I'm always quick to cheer on the tours and the tour guides that we have. It's a pet project of mine. I do also want to put a plug in for if anybody is ever interested in being a volunteer at the Palace Theater, we have a fabulous volunteer program, which I'm in charge of, and they are a second family to me, these volunteers, and they are second family to each other. We have about 180 right now. We need a ton more for the next season, 21-22 season. The season is that big and I'm getting a little nervous that I'm not gonna have enough ushers. So if anybody would like to um, volunteer at the palace and see these wonderful shows for free, You can log on to palacetheaterct.org and go to About Us and scroll down to volunteers and all the information is there. And you could be in on our 100th anniversary season.
0: And I think that's something that a lot of people don't always realize that this is something that it's kind of, you can kill two birds with one stone. I can volunteer and help out there and oh by the way the show's starting let me have a seat again something worthwhile especially like you said because it it is the the anniversary that is is coming up
1: yes if you've ever been thinking about volunteering this is the season to do it
0: can you talk about any personal stories that you have with the palace theater i know meg you said i guess you really became involved around that 2004 when you saw that blurb Mm -hmm. in the paper So is that really when you started or or were there some previous involvements?
1: Oh, I I grew up in Waterbury. I love the city of Waterbury and I love movies. And my love of movies, I think, was born in the Palace Theater because I was one of those kids that was dropped off in front of the theater to go in and watch a, a Disney movie. And my mother would pick me up two hours later. My first memory of the Palace Theater is going to see 101 Dalmatians. So I don't know what year that was, but I was young. And I believe that was the, the first movie I saw there. So all my young, young years, it was movies. Teenage years, it was concerts. And by that time, this is in the 70s now, And by that time, the theater was in horrible disrepair. And I always tell the story of one concert that I went to see. I was up in the me- uh, upper mezzanine, which is the tippy top and my seat had no seat. To it, I could lean against the back of the seat because the back was there, but the seat was not there. And there were, you know, pigeons, and I was hoping they were pigeons flying around, and um, it, it was in horrible disrepair. But you could still see a glimpse of the beauty that was in the theater. It was still, it, still, it was still magnificent, even though it was falling apart around us.
0: Do you remember any of the artists that you saw?
1: I saw Bob Dylan in 1974. I saw uh, Charlie Daniels and Marshall Tucker.
0: It must have been a a real treat to see concerts. And especially I I keep going back to the movies, just like the theater presentations now when you have a full house. But, you know, when I was younger, I just remember going to the movies when they were not as brilliant as the palace, but but large theaters and Mm -hmm. to see something I would assume like 101 Dalmatians, which was a very popular film that the theater would have been packed with kids.
1: It was, I remember the loudness in the theater. It was a very loud theater with all those kids in there and messy with popcorn.
0: You know, in a way, I don't know if I want to say it's sad, but it's just, it's just a total different viewing experience. I mean, when you go to the movies today, you know, yes, you have special effects, you have loud speakers, but nothing matches being in an audience of, well, what the, how, how big is the Orchestra, a thousand. The seats, orchestra 30, is
1: about thirteen hundred.
0: Thirteen. I mean, yeah. if you even if there's there's only eight hundred people in there, and you yeah. and you hear all this ruckus above you in the mezzanine, totally changes the viewing experience. And people just don't get that now.
1: No, no. Now the special effects are on the screen. Back then, the special effects were in the theater. Was in the theater. Sometimes up in the mezzanine was the special
2: effects, but. <laughs> <laughs> They Blue, got you- to name those special effects. <laughs> uh, if if I could put my two cents worth in, yes. During the '70s and early '80s, any rock group that was a rock group was at the theater. But when I first started with the theater back in 2004, I started a web page. So if if people are interested, they can go to the Alice's website, about us, history, and then there's a link to my site. Now on my site, which is exactly the same. Uh, visual as a palace there is a section on the 1970s and 1980s uh, rock group along with photographs pictures of the tickets Uh, I have people from all over the world and I really mean all over the world sending me copies of their tickets that they remember that they were at the palace theater Uh, you have Freddie Mercury who was at the theater actually three times on his second visit he introduced the world to Bohemian Rhapsody from our stage, which is a, a really a great plus. You know, i like to speak about our history class. Probably around 2006, 2007, Frank came to me and, and asked if I'd be interested in doing a history class. And I told him that I would. So from that day on, I have been doing research on the palace finding photographs that nobody ever knew existed. And we put the class together along with Dave Flowers, who's absolutely a fantastic person. What we do is we have five sessions. Uh, It usually consists of a grand tour of the theater. Then I put together a slideshow of, of images that I've collected for 15 years. Then Dave takes them up into the flyway. Then on the next one, we usually watch the loading in of a show. And on the last episode, they meet with Frank Tavaria, the Polite Club, and and discuss finances, and and he answers any questions. We just finished our class, and we had great reviews on it, and uh, I I try to perfect it as much as I can, and I do find a lot of information that's lost to history. Now, this may sound trivial, but for 14 years, I've been searching for a photograph of the water tower on top of the theater, which was a 15,000-gallon water tank that Mr. Polite used for his fire system if, it, if he needed it. Could not ever find one, but this past fall, I came across one. I've got an actual photograph of the tank on top of the roof, which I think for me was, was a great thing to do. And I continue to find more information. There's a lot of information out there. A lot of stuff has been, was, was analog, has been converted to digital. And there are a lot of old cinema treasure websites that have information on these old theaters.
1: Can I just add that the um, the history class that Lou was talking about, that is uh, done in conjunction with Ali or the Osher Lifelong Learning, Learning. thank yep. you, at UConn. So if you would like to go to Lou's class, you would register through UConn, and it is a very in-depth class on the history of the palace. So if you go on one of our regular tours, our monthly tours, you get an hour hour and an hour and 15-minute or so tour. Go to Lou's class, you get six weeks' worth of information. And people have taken it time and time again.
0: Let me give you the information about how to, to, to do that. So like I said, I work at UConn, and Ollie mm-hmm. is an absolutely fantastic program. It's a lifelong learning program. And I've actually taught in that program. So you simply go to OLLI, and that's O-L-L-I for Osher Lifelong Learning Institute dot UConn, U-C-O-N-N right to their homepage. And right on their homepage right now is the catalog for the summer. So they'll have that, they'll have it for the fall. I would highly recommend going to that because you can get to lose class. And if you really want to get that information, that historical perspective, Lou, I would imagine you get people from Waterbury that have Been here for a very long time contacting you or even out of the blue, hey, Lou, I got this photo or my kids are cleaning out the house and they're going to throw this stuff away. Do you want it?
2: Well, yes, I get that from people in Waterbury, but I also get it from people in Sydney, Australia, Moscow, Mm -hmm. uh, Italy. These are people from Waterbury who came to the theater, took their treasures with them back where they're moving overseas. And a lot of the information that I have has been sent to me all over the world.
0: Is there something else that either came through the mail or someone delivered that, I don't want to say the Holy Grail, but something that just really floored you?
2: Well, we do have the Holy Grail. Uh, We have memorabilia from Mr. Polite. We have uh, his original checkbook that he was using in his theater across the street. You know, unbeknownst to a lot of people, during the 20s, Mr. Poli had five, count them, five theaters operating in Waterbury at the same time. They were the Burlesque House, Jake's Burlesque. You had the Palace. You had the Rialto. And and you had the Strand Theater. So you got five of them running all the time in Waterbury. And what he did, he was such a genius, he didn't let his managers get complacent in one theater he would move them around. So a manager for the palace would go to the Strand. So during that period, and if you look at the old maps of Waterbury, East Main Street was called Broadway. So he brought shows into the theater to perfect their technique, and then they moved on into New York.
0: And I'm assuming none of those theaters exist today except for the palace.
2: Nothing left, no, just the palace. Now, what's is quite interesting, back in, 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 the, in the late 20s and early 30s in Waterbury, You didn't have television, obviously, but if you wanted to go to the movies, you walk out your front door, within 20 minutes, you're in a theater. There probably will well over 125 movie theaters operating in Waterbury at the same time in every little neighborhood. But how
1: lucky are we that the Palace Theater still stands? Exactly. I got to believe that the the Palace was the prettiest and the most ornate of all the theaters that were here, and maybe probably one of the biggest, Lou. Yes. And how lucky we are that we still have it.
2: Exactly. It's a treasure and, and we love it dearly and we're going to protect it dearly.
0: Sadly, that's a, a good place for us to end because we could sit here and talk about the palace for a very long time because there is just so much to it. So let me leave listeners with a couple of pieces of information. If they want to become a volunteer for any aspect of the palace they can just go to Palace Theater and that's theater with an E-R, not an R-E. So Palace org, and go to the about link, go down. Once you get to the website, I'm sure you'll be able to find that. Find but, just
1: get to that about us link and you'll see volunteers and you're off and running.
0: If you're not interested in volunteering or you're not ready to dip your toe into the water, you can go and sign up for a tour. And with, is that in the same area if you wanted to sign up for a tour to go to the website and you can
1: go to the box office and you can see the tour schedule on the box office site
0: the main thing is palace theater c-t.org. right and a few minutes and then if you're interested in the history of the palace theater that class if you go to the ollie website and that is o-l-l-i dot uconn u-c-o-n-n dot edu and you can get information. Is, is that course offered every semester, Lou, or is it just every so often?
2: It's twice a year, Stu. It's in the springtime, usually around middle of March, and then again in the fall. This coming class is going to be a complete class with us participating in the loaded of a, of a show. The past class was only four weeks. We're now going back to five weeks, so it's right. twice a year.
0: Well, I want to thank my guest, Meg Luddy, who is the front of house manager, and Lou Beloisi, who is the honorary Palace Theater historian for sharing their information and their memories about the Palace Theater. And I can imagine when you have the Palace open, people just love to grab each of you and tell you their stories and their memories. And you have to remind them the show is about to start. So- <laughs> I'll see you at intermission. <laughs> We're all ears. That's right. You've been listening to the Palace Theater's Broadway Buzz presented by Webster Bank. The Palace Theatre is located in Waterbury, Connecticut. My name is Stuart Brown, founder of the 24-7 online Broadway radio station, soundsofbroadway.com. If you are looking for nonstop Broadway music, tune into soundsofbroadway.com, playing the best from Off-Broadway, Broadway, and the London stage. Thank you for listening. I hope you will join me on our next podcast episode. Until then, stay safe, be well, and be informed with the Broadway buzz. Entertaining new possibilities. The Palace Theater, your palace, your place.